you, if you noticed me down here, you may have been wondering, why wasn't I singing and why was I staring at all of you? There's a, if you didn't know I was staring at you, I'm fully admitting that I was. Because it was about this time last year that we, we didn't even meet in this place. That uh, you would tune in online and you would see something that I had usually recorded the week before and we would all watch it together and communicate through the YouTube chat or whatever way we had to do this. And now I'm looking out here. We were, we were by the way, we first started thinking about getting together again in, in space, you know, here in, in, in this space about this time last year, and we scheduled that for the Memorial Day weekend. And so now here we are at this moment, and I can look out, and I can see some of you here. I'm very aware of some of the you out there that are watching uh, in India, like, like Larry said. And then Rick told me that Emma and her friend Ludwig are watching in Sweden. And that's pretty exciting to, to know that we've got this great connection. And even my parents up the road and then so many other friends that are part of this. I know you're there, but then to be able to see you here too and to be able to see many of you today and you don't look like bandits. I mean, I can actually see your face, you know. For those of you who do look like bandits, no judgment. I get it, okay. The rules are a little fuzzy right now. We're doing the best we can, okay. But... This is like what uh, Barry Neal said last week, that we, we're noticing that God has helped us and that the church has been resilient through all of this. And I just had to take that in a moment ago because I don't ever want to take it for granted. And that's the message that I want to share with you this morning as we talk about the stone of help. In Scripture, it's called the, the Ebenezer which always makes you think of Christmas and, and Scrooge. I get it. I get it. You know, I don't know that anybody can ever use that name again. But it's actually a two-word word, Ebenezer. And it means a stone of help. It's a marker. And in 1 Samuel 7, you learn the meaning behind it because that's a significant moment for Israel that when they put that stone of help up, they're marking what God has done, just like we're starting to notice the things that God is doing among us. And again, just for accuracy, this is not a historical picture of the stone of help in Israel. Uh, and those sheep have not been around since the days of Samuel. It's just a cool-looking rock, and the sheep will have a, a point to them later. Let's go to the text. 1 Samuel 7, starting in verse 2. The ark, that would be the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant remained in Kiriath-Jerim for a long time, 20 years in all. During that time, all of Israel mourned because it seemed that the Lord had abandoned them. Then sent, by the way, to say that it's in Kiriath-Jerim is to say it's not where it really should be, Okay. Things have changed. The Ark of the Covenant has gone online. All right. Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, If you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey Him alone. Then He will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtoreth, 
and worshipped only the Lord. Then Samuel told them, Gather all of Israel to Mitzpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And so they gathered at Mitzpah, and in a great ceremony, they drew water from a well, they poured it out before the Lord, and they also went without food all day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. It was there at Mitzpah that Samuel became Israel's judge. When the Philistine rulers heard that Israel had gathered at Mitzpah, they mobilized their army and they advanced. And the Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that the Philistines were approaching. Don't stop pleading with the Lord our God to save us from the Philistines, they begged Samuel. So Samuel took a young lamb and he offered it to the Lord as a whole burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel and the Lord answered him. And just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines arrived to attack Israel. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day, and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. The men of Israel chased them from Mitzpah to a place below Bethkar, slaughtering them all along the way. And Samuel took a large stone, he placed it between the towns of Mitzpah, and Jeshana, and he named it Eben-Azer, which means the stone of help. For he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they didn't invade Israel for some time. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines. And the Israelite villages near Ekron and Gath that the Philistines had captured were restored to Israel, along with the rest of the territory that the Philistines had taken. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites in those days, and Samuel continued as Israel's judge for the rest of his life. Each year, he traveled around, setting up his court, first at Bethel, then at Gilgal, then at Mitzpah, and he judged the people of Israel at each of these places. And then he would return to his home at Ramah, and he would hear cases there too. And Samuel built an altar to the Lord at Ramah. If you're wondering what all that talk about Samuel being their judge is, understand this, it's significant. Samuel becomes the first judge, the first ruler for the whole nation of Israel, at least since Moses and Joshua. Then all those other judges that we know about, like Samson and, and Samson, you know, all of those, they, uh, they're just regional rulers. They... they They ruled for a time and maybe in a certain territory. But Samuel becomes the figure for the whole collection of tribes. And he travels around and he's leading them. And yet in his leadership, he's not a king. Uh, He's he's a judge, sort of like a justice of the peace. He's he's there to, to settle matters. He's a lot like Moses and he's a lot like Joshua in that. But it's God who rules this single collection of people all united in that judgment. They really did turn themselves back to God and they they got serious and they got rid of all the false gods and they trusted that Samuel was God's spokesperson and he could settle matters between them and allow them to live at peace. They even lived at peace with the Amorites. Nobody thought that was possible, but they did. And so it's no wonder that Samuel is putting up a milestone, an Ebenezer, A milestone, you know, we don't even use the word milestone literally anymore, I don't think. 
we talk about mile markers or signposts that have signs on them. But the word milestone literally comes from the practice of setting up stones along the way. And uh, by the way, I do know that our friends, I'm, I'm pretty sure about this, we can confirm, that our friends in India, they do literally have more milestones on, on their roads. Um, but milestones, you'll still see them. There's, there's societies devoted to preserving these as they're kind of a wonderful little piece of, uh, of antiquity. But they would mark the way, they would mark the path, and it would tell you how far you've come and how far you have yet to go. And it would tell you which direction to go, depending on your destination. And that's why milestone comes to mean what it means for us when we talk about milestones marking significant moments in life's journey. We talk about milestones as events or moments in time, a a date on the calendar where we recognize progress, we recognize God's help, we recognize God's direction up to that point. Where we recover and, re, and, and by the way, what we're doing right now is we are recovering and restoring missing milestones. Because what happened last year to a lot of our expected milestones? We missed them. COVID took them away. Some of you didn't get to have graduation last year. We didn't get to go on mission trips like we usually do last year. We didn't get to have events. We didn't have VBS last year. Our mile markers were removed from the way. And so part of what I want to share with you, and I I don't want it to get lost as an announcement about, yay, activities are back. Now let's all get busy. I want you to hear that what's coming ahead in the weeks ahead, Lord willing, this is the Lord returning and preserving milestones, and we need to grasp their significance Next Sunday's Mother's Day. And I'm actually looking forward to preaching a sermon about Mother's Day. Yeah. Some of you know me know that's a big deal. It's not that I hate Mother's Day. It's just I'm thinking I'm a 50-something-year-old dude. What do I have to say to moms? I know nothing about it. I do have something to say. And it starts with two words, thank you. See, and I've learned by having these milestones returned. We're going to have Mother's Day next Sunday, Lord willing. We're going to have baby blessing. Those are milestones. We're so thankful. I mean, just seeing Melton lead us in song, seeing all the kids participate in this, that means that God has got a future that's surrounding us right now. And it's so encouraging. And I love it when the babies cry because that means that we got a future. Don't worry. If you're that parent that's taking care of that child and you're like, you know, oh, this baby, he's, he's going to distract. Well, not, he's not distracting me. He's probably distracting you, okay? And I got enough of those stories on my own to tell you about that uh, when we had kids that would distract people in worship, you know. Um, anyway, we'll save those for two weeks. We got class promotions coming up. We've got graduations taking place. Folks, there's a lot of milestones, and we need to pay attention. Don't, we're not just going to leave them in the background anymore and say, oh, yeah, that's that mile marker. We're going to notice it, and we're going to remember what it means, just like the stone of help. Now, as you can tell from this slide alone, the, uh, 
the lesson today is brought to you by the letter R, okay? Started out a bit accidental, and then it got real. So I thought, man, and not only that, it's the prefix uh, re. Re is a prefix, right? Okay, thank you. And uh, got a ruling from the judges over here. The uh, Samuel sets up a spiritual milestone for the fledgling nation of Israel in the stone of help. That when anybody would go between those cities, they would know, you know what? The Lord has given us this moment. The Lord, He gave us. He fought for us. He gave us that victory over the Philistines. And that's why we can be one nation. That's why Samuel rules over us. That's why we can do our mission. And if we want to remember these milestones that we have, I'm going to give you three R's that we need to do. The first is we need to repent. This is what Samuel says to them. The beginning of that moment begins with Samuel saying to them, after 20 long years of feeling like God had abandoned them, Samuel confronts them and he says, you know, do you really want to get serious about finding God again? If you do, then you can't just go back to the way things were. You're going to have to change. And I, I, want, I want this family of God, represented by us here, by those of you out there, I want you to be a people who are not committed to going back to the way things were. Because there were a lot of things before COVID that we were getting wrong. And there's things we're going to get wrong afterwards. But boy, we were majoring in minors in so many ways. And we were taking so much stuff for granted. Just being together on a Sunday coming together and having communion, sharing these things with one another, celebrating these milestones. Ah, we took it for granted. We tried to shoehorn it into our busy schedules because we had so much going on. And now we've learned to repent. Maybe we need to repent from what it was that kept us too busy before the pandemic began. I'm not just talking about the the, the activities, I'm talking about the attitude. I'm talking about the, the frame of mind that makes us think that everything is so pressing. Boy, if one thing about being locked down arrests our attention, it's when all of a sudden this global phenomenon takes away from you everything that you think is important. It's like God just hits a giant pause button and says, that's it, we're shutting it down for a while. I'm not saying that God literally did that, but boy, that's what it felt like. I want to ask you to think about and reflect on how we've longed for the Lord over the last year. I know that some of you have been coming back. For some of you, this is your first Sunday back, and I want to say welcome. And you know, you've been waiting for this. You've been waiting to see your friends. I know some of you, even when it was at risk of your health, you were telling me, I sure do miss my church family. And it, that, that would rip me up inside, but at the, on the other hand, it would make me feel good because I knew that it meant something to you. I knew it was important to you. I know how much you love each other and care for one another, and I know how much better that gets when you combine with that your love for God. And I want to see you continue, not just to show up at this place, but I want to see you continue to reach out to one another and to reach out to your friends. We have the capacity now with Right Now Media to have online studies. I want us to have so many Bible studies and classes going on that we don't have enough classroom space for it. 
Youth group got a new classroom space this week. They turned two rooms into one. It was like a marriage. They took down a wall, the separating wall of division. Does that mean, do we have enough classroom space now? I hope we don't because I want to see you and me getting out there in this great big world studying Scripture in a hundred different places online and out there. God didn't mean for us to just contain all of that at one address. He meant for that to be shared, just like old Samuel, running around through the countryside, setting up shop here, there, and everywhere. We can do the same. But to do it, we're going to have to turn away from our false gods. To do it, we're going to have to turn away from the forces and the ideas that distract us from trusting in Him and Him alone. And we're going to have to resist. We're going to have to resist the things that panic us. For Israel in this story, there's a wonderful moment there where they've all gathered to worship God. Samuel says, okay, so you want to get together then, right? You want to get together and you want to dedicate yourself, confess your sins to the Lord. Let's do it. And they get together, and the Philistines say, this is our opportunity to attack them. They're defenseless, and they're all at one place. We can get them. And instead of running away, the people say, Samuel, you stay right there and keep asking the Lord to save us. Samuel, you keep that worship service going. Because we need this more than we need to run away from Philistines. And God honors that. In Isaiah 8, 12, Isaiah has been preaching to the leaders of Judah. He's been preaching to the king of Judah. And the king of and he brings a message from God that says, hey, you're worried about the enemies that are going to invade you. You're worried about a lot of political stuff. You're worried about war and conflict. And Isaiah is saying, God has given you a unique opportunity that he doesn't give to very many people. He said, all you got to do is ask for a sign to assure you that God's got this, and he'll give it to you. And in all of his wonderful arrogance, the king of Judah says, Isaiah, thank you very much, but we've got this figured out. We've got a decent alliance going on with some of our uh, allies in the territory, so thank God kindly, but we don't need his help today. And Isaiah is just so distraught that the king won't listen to him. And so God's message to him is, hey, Isaiah, you're my man, you're my guy, Don't you worry about what they call conspiracy. Don't you be afraid of the things they call fear. And that's a good message for us. Because every day you are going to be up against new things to make you afraid. And by the way, the people who wanted you to be fearful of COVID and the pandemic, and I'm not saying that concern and caution was not appropriate. It was. I think one of the reasons that you know, we did fairly well in that is that we did respect the impact of all of this. But here's what I'm trying to get you to understand. That when these forces that like to keep us afraid and in control, when, when they lose something like that to make us afraid because now we've got vaccines, what's next? Caution and concern and responsibility are not inappropriate. But when the world and whatever else it is, when our own uh, anxieties want us to run around 
like Chicken Little saying that the sky is falling, we're calling fear and conspiracy what they call fear and conspiracy instead of listening to God. Look at this moment with Israel. Let them be your example. There they are. The Philistines are coming after them. And the Philistines are some pretty stout fighters, you know. I mean, remember, this is before David. This is before Goliath. Who knows how many Goliaths they have in the armed forces there, right? I mean, they're ready. They're ready. And they're coming after them, and all of these people have shown up in their nice clothes for worship. They didn't bring their battle gear with them. It's like, now what are we going to do? And they say the right thing. Samuel, sacrifice the lamb. You stay right there and ask God to help us. They dedicated themselves to worship and obedience, and God fought for them. It's interesting that there's no details, really, of what God did. It just says he th- thundered on them. <laughs> Maybe we don't want to know. <laughs> uh, but that's what you fear, is that. Not the stuff out there that they try to get you to fear. So we need to repent of the things that distract us. We need to resist the temptation to get anxious about the things that our world and our culture want to make us about. And we need to remember who helps us. It's the Lord who helps us and defends us. You see what happens here in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel? Samuel puts up that stone because he want, they don't do anything to participate in the battle really. Other than they go running on the field. In fact, what Israel does in this battle is similar to when, you know, a team, a, a team wins finally a big football game, right? And maybe they've been losers for a really long time. And everybody gets so excited that they run out on the field and they tear down the goalpost, right? Why? Why? That goalpost wasn't their enemy, number one. The team on the field won the battle. What do they think they're doing? But they're just out there. That's what Israel does. God's already thundered these Philistines into confusion, and so they just go racing after them and chase them away, kicking them while they're down. (laughs) Don't you come back to our worship service like that, will you? But God wins the battle. So Samuel puts the stone up and he says, God is the one who's been with us all the way up to this moment. Since when, Samuel? Since you came out of Egypt. Since forever. And every time that we mark these milestones, we remember who's helped us and who's defended us up to this point. We remember the story up to this point. Otherwise, we turn God into a kind of a a good luck charm who gives us what we want right here and now. You know, he's our rabbit's foot. Oh, God, I need this. Take care of us right now at this moment. I'll leave you alone after that. God doesn't want you to leave him alone. He wants to let you, or he wants you to let him write the story. And if he writes the story and fights the battles, the story ends much better when we trust in him to do that. They had peace. They had peace with the Amorites, which apparently is quite an accomplishment. I mean, it gets mentioned. Samuel goes around, they they become one big nation. It's good. They have the Lord back. But there's something that happens in the next chapter. They have the stone of help. They have Samuel. 
But in chapter 8, the people say, you know, things are going so good. Let's do what everybody else is doing. Let's get a king. And Samuel knows that's not a good idea. And God says, I know. I know, Samuel. But they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Samuel warns him. He says, you want to go back to all that? You want to get a king? You know what a king does? He'll take your kids. He'll send them to war. He'll make you build his palace. I mean, it'll be like Pharaoh all over again. You sure you want this? Yeah, we want it, Samuel. I mean, you're great, but I don't know. You're great, but you're going to die one day. We're not real fond of your kids. No wonder it kind of hurts his feelings. We just don't know that there's going to be another Samuel. But if we had a king, oh, then we'd have somebody that fights for us. And I wonder if they were saying that with the stone of help right in their view. We want somebody who fights for us. We want somebody that we can look to to be our leader. And that stone of help is right there where they can see it. Oh, we can miss it, church. But Lord willing, we're not going to. In 2020, we had to learn just how God helps us when we can't do it for ourselves. That's the lesson that we got. We learned that just because we couldn't do certain things didn't mean that we, we couldn't expect the Lord's help and the Lord's grace. We learned through it all that if we would stay dedicated to Him, even if it was hard to do all the things that we, that, that we did, and even if we missed the things that we thought were so important, you know how many times we wrung our hands worrying that we wouldn't make it to this point? We need to repent of that faithlessness. <laughs> But there's so much more that He can do through us if we are obedient to Him. You know, God actually does give them a king. Isn't that strange? Samuel tells them they don't want a king. They end up with a king. He's not that great of a king. Does everything Samuel said. So God says, well, you know, if you really want a king, I'm going to give you a better king. And God's king, David, is a shepherd king. I told you the sheep were coming back. And we have a shepherd king who fights for us. He fought for us and he won the battle for us. And all we have to do now is run out in the field and celebrate it. He is our stone of help. He is our rock and our fortress. He is our shepherd king. We're going to do in 2021 around every milestone exactly what we learned to do in 2020. The setting may be different. The arrangement of the furniture may be different. The order of the worship may be different. But the obedience is going to be just the same. And today this shepherd king invites us around the Lord's supper table. Let us sing and let us go to that table in repentance, resistance to the world, remembering the one who fought, died, and lives and rules over us. Let's sing it.